stumbled onto the sleeping giant. Let's broaden our minds. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sleeping Giant podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Marcotte, and I'd like to say thank you for joining me once more. We've only got a few things to cover before we get to our guest spot with the one and only Steve Marcotte, wherein we'll be discussing our thoughts on the latest Star Wars film, Solo, and where it fits into the Star Wars mythos, according to us at least. Before we dive into that though, I want to take a minute to talk about what I've found noteworthy in the world of Funko, especially with July being upon us, and you know what that means. Y'all go on and get comfy now, because we are about to begin. For those of you who don't know what it means for July to be upon us, I'll give you a hint. It's an event that rhymes with San Diego Comic-Con. Of course, with SDCC comes along many, many exclusive toys from Funko. It's the tail end of June, and there have already been dozens of releases announced, though no word yet on the shared exclusives. While the list of exclusives is too long to complete here, I will spotlight my picks and post them along with several others on our Instagram account. First on my list are Nearly Headless Nick and Moaning Myrtle, both glow-in-the-dark pops. From Star Wars, we have a trooper from Solo and Cad Bane from Clone Wars. I do love Bane, but I am not crazy about the sculpt, so I don't know if I'm going to uh, fall over myself to get get to that one. Next up for me is the Queen of Thorns, uh, Alina Martell from Game of Thrones. At the very top of my list, though, is the Alana Rock Candy from Saga, as well as the Goose Pop Vinyl. I'm really kind of hoping that's going to be a Hot Topic exclusive because it might be a little easier for me to get my hands on that. My absolute favorites, though, uh, are the Snowball Dance Dustin from Stranger Things, as well as the Billy and Karen Wheeler 2-pack. That might be kind of a Hawkins meets Cougar Town in the next season. We'll see. Uh, I don't know. Stranger Things have happened. (laughs) Am I right? As I said, though, we'll get those picks up on Instagram if you haven't already seen them, and if you have seen them, look at them again. You will like it. I promise. So, to move right along, I want to preface this next segment by saying that I always love talking movies with my dad, and our conversations have more than served as both an inspiration and motivation to podcast. Some of you may recall that my dad made his first appearance on the show for our Christmas episode, and I'm more than happy to tell you now that he'll be joining me more frequently. Now, as previously stated, we will be talking about Solo, a Star Wars story. While not detailed and spoiler heavy, there be spoilers ahead. Do be warned. Now, let's see if between all of us we can figure out why, with with what amounts to be a solid picture by our estimation, let's see if we can figure out why it did so poorly and if it's worth a Star Wars fan's time. Here's a spoiler for you now. It totally is. All right. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Here you go. Here you go. All right. Well, uh, I just want to go ahead and say thank you for, for joining me today and, and coming back onto the show. You're most welcome. Most welcome. Yeah, so what what else are you doing? Not working. I don't miss work. Right. So, and this is, is this your first full month of re- having been retired? Uh, no, April and May. April and okay, so April. All April and May, yeah. Two mm-hmm. full months then. Two full months, yes. Well, at least in that time, you were uh, given an opportunity to go see Solo. I did. I did see it, yes. And I enjoyed it. When did you see it? Thursday. Wow, has it really already been a week? Because I, I think I saw it the Friday. No, I saw it the Saturday after it came out. And uh, I'll be honest with you, it's it's not as fresh in my mind as I would like for it to be, but didn't have time to see it again, so mm-hmm. it is what it is. Now, what what did you think of it? I, I'm curious to know right off right off the bat what what your uh, what your opinion of it was i at first i thought it was fun i didn't initially i wasn't initially eager to see it the way i was eager to see other star wars movies but i thought well i had to see this one because it, it and see how it fits in the pantheon that is all of star wars and a couple of days now, after seeing it, I really look back and 
I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Oh, I thought you were going to say you, you were looking back and, oh, I saw all these holes in it. So. Well, I, I try not to get into those types of thoughts. I, I try to go into a movie, especially a summer movie, especially this one, more so with just fun, just looking at it. Okay, it's a popcorn movie. Uh, I'm going to sit and enjoy it and uh, not really pick a whole lot of holes in, in it from a movie-making standpoint or from a canon standpoint. And I'm not into the canon of Star Wars apart from the original three movies and somewhat um, to a small degree the canon of the subsequent saga movies. I enjoyed Rogue One, but it was really good as it fit into A New Hope. And Solo it was one I didn't know if it was a, a story worth right. telling. Did we really need to know the backstory of this particular character? But again, a couple of days after watching it, I thought it was fun. I thought the actors did a great job, and we'll talk about that. I, I, I enjoyed it. I was glad I, I went to see it. It was a nice, fun summer movie to see. Yeah, I, well, I agree with you 100% actually on, on that point about the, the nature of a popcorn film versus a masterpiece, uh, you know, uh, um, some sort of, uh, you know, actually, I want to I want to speak about that very briefly and that I, I, I have found and I was guilty of this for a long time, but I found that for whatever reason, um, we hold Star Wars in such high regard that we expect these uh, masterpieces, these, um, you know, just like the, the pinnacle of uh, cinematic expression and art from our Star Wars movies. And, you know, they weren't really to begin with. So I don't really understand why they have to be now. Um, you know, why yeah, can't it just true, be a fun true. experience? Uh, exactly, exactly. So, you know, I, I definitely agree with you on that point. Um, I think that was the question that we were all asking ourselves. Well, you know, I guess I can't speak for everybody, but I think a lot of us were asking ourselves, uh, do, you, I, uh, do we really need this? You know, I think the question was, Nobody asked, um, or the statement, I guess, was nobody asked for Star Wars um, a solo movie, you know. And really, when you get down to it, nobody really asked for the other ones either, um, <laughs> you know. It's, so it's, it's kind of it's not a fair thing to say, in my opinion. I mean, with with a New Hope, you, uh, you, I am assuming that you hoped for a sequel, uh, and The Empire Strikes Back, and then course with return of the jedi and and i understand also because i i remember being part of the uh the wait um because we knew we had episodes four five and six uh was there going to be an episode one two or three and and furthermore i remember uh getting a little older and you know kind of starting to use news groups and things like that and then there was the the discussion about uh lucas and his plans for seven eight nine and how it was always supposed to be nine films so I remember being part of that and anticipating all of that. Um, then, of course, the prequels happened. And uh, <laughs> and then we very quickly discovered that we really did not want to know uh, where Boba Fett came from. We did not want to know how Darth Vader uh, came to be. Not, not in such great detail and certainly not three movies worth of that. You know, did we ask for it? Yeah, we sure did. Uh, did we want it after we got it? A lot of us, no. <laughs> But, well, I'll tell you. Uh, um, well, go ahead. I was just going to say, in the case of uh, Solo, I think that there was a lot of that going on. I decided to kind of maybe try and grow up a little bit and and just kind of calm the the fanboy nerves that I had going in myself and just and just say, hey, you know what? Um, let's just not read anything about this. Not, let's not look at any of the magazines or read any of the articles. Let's just go see the movie when it comes out. And if you like it, you like it. And if you don't, whatever. You you don't have to make a big deal about it. You don't have to crucify anyone. Just say, hey, that wasn't for me, and move on. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think you you can't look at these movies, especially... The, well, let me get back to your comment about the sequels as it relates to the original three. When uh, Darth Vader's ship um, 
got knocked into space when, when Han saved Luke there in the trench, you knew there was going to be a sequel. Right. And I remember people at the time saying, oh, here, there's, here's the opportunity for a sequel. But I, I don't think you can set apart a discussion about all these movies without looking at the business component right. associated with them. And so whether there's a need for them, there is a financial incentive on the part of Disney now to put these movies forward. Right. Where, where we didn't really, we were very disappointed, um, I was, about the prequels, as many people were. These subsequent movies, again, are a vehicle to continue the story in the minds of not only the old fans, but the new fans, the fans that are coming. Right. Um, and that is a consideration. So I, I have to look at these movies. How do they fit alone or solo uh, as a movie? And again, I thought they were fun. And we'll probably see a Lando movie somewhere around, uh, somewhere in the future. Oh, I would imagine so. Yeah, this is moderately successful because Donald Glover is entertaining. He has stories to tell, even if it's uh, dictating his novel, as we saw in the movie. Oh, yeah, the Calrissian Chronicles. Yeah, yeah, which was, a, um, some would say, a, a fan service to a very small population of fans who understood those, um, uh, those novels that actually exist. So, again, the business component is relevant in any discussion of any of these movies and how they fit going forward. Absolutely. I mean, they wouldn't make them if they weren't making money. Mm-hmm. There, there have been, yep. which is sad to say, um, because I, I know, especially as fans, you're dealing with something that you love, so it's hard sometimes to see it that way. But I can think of one instance where um, there was a film uh, the Golden Compass, it was a film adaptation of a young adult novel, which was the first in a trilogy of books. And uh, that series is amazing, in my opinion. And if, if you haven't read it, I strongly, strongly suggest that you do. Um, let's see, the author was, uh, gosh, was it Philip Pullman, I believe? I, I haven't said his name in forever, mm-hmm. so I, I don't recall. Um, but he, he wrote this series of books, and they were just brilliant. I fell in love with them. And... They adapted the first movie, um, or excuse me, they adapted the first book into a film, and it just, it was very poorly received. So the next two did not get made. And, and, mm. you know, you have these questions at first. You're like, how dare they? You know, how could they not make these other two movies? Because, you know, you, I personally enjoyed watching the first one and I love the books. But the, I mean, the very easy answer to that question is they did not get a return on their investment and they weren't going to mm-hmm. risk the money to make the other two. And that's sad because that's just, well, I mean, it's sad because we want to see it, but it is what it is. That is the nature of the business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I, I've always looked on um, art, um, movies, television. Even if you look at classical performances, um, I like classical music and opera. Those were uh, pieces of work because the artists need to make a living. Right. And, and they've lived with us for so long, but you still have to understand that, yes, there are pieces of work that can stand on their own, but those individuals had to make a living. And you'll have art house films, they'll have limited releases, and yes, one individual or two individuals may see them, then they're, then they're successful or they, they have a financial gain. Right. But these movies have such a, a rich history and a rich following that there is a market. And even though Solo is not going to perform as well as other movies, it's still it's going to make some money, um, digital, foreign releases, etc. But it also is part of an overriding package that is presented to individuals so that they can invest in the series. Right. And at, at this time, I believe that uh, Alden Ehrenreich and Donald Glover are signed on for two more movies apiece. Now, I don't know if that's going to be uh, two more movies together 
or mm-hmm. if each of them is going to do two more movies. And it could just be that that was part of their contract, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and those those other those other productions may or may not happen. Um, but as you said before, seeing Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian in the future on screen, I think that is definitely going to happen. Um, I, I, in fact, just judging by what I've seen on the web and hanging out and talking to other people, it seems like Lando is probably the more popular character um, from that movie, well, we, as opposed to Han Solo. Yeah, we we have to see more of the capes and less <laughs> of the droid L three. I'm, I'm I could watch more of L three. Well, I don't I don't think we're gonna get any more L three. Uh, um, uh. Not uh, well, unless we go go back in time with Lando, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, speaking of L3, I do want to say at this point, and uh, I apologize for not having said so beforehand, but this conversation uh, will be not necessarily full of spoilers, but it's definitely going to have uh, spoilers in it. So if you haven't <laughs> seen Solo, then this might not be might not be the show for you. So we'll give you a moment to go ahead and get situated and and uh, find something more entertaining. <laughs> um, but anyway, with that being said, uh, L3, you know, she's busted. She's part of she the Vulcan now, uh, which I thought was very interesting because um, I know before I had seen this movie, I had really hoped that we would kind of get some, not necessarily insight into characters um, from the original trilogy, but a trilogy, excuse me, but maybe just some instances that connect with the other movies that. Um, shine a little bit more light on things. So speaking of L3 being integrated into the Falcon, uh, we now know more or less why or how the Falcon seems to get sassy with mm-hmm. 3PO. Yeah, uh, exactly. exactly. And Empire. Yeah, and yeah you, exactly. You kind of know the Falcon has a personality, and that personality belongs to L3, which I think is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I you know I, I think that the I personally feel that the movie was pretty good. I enjoyed it. I don't think that it suffered anything major um, that is worth not going to see. You know, or making it um, you know not worthy of your time and money. I, I would definitely urge Star Wars fans to go see it. And here's the thing: I, I don't want to say, well, you have to give it a second chance because when the Last Jedi came out. Uh, which is another thing, by the way, that I, I personally feel is keeping many fans from going to see Solo. Um, when The Last Jedi came out and people went to go see it and then there was just sort of like that, I guess, pin drop hush <laughs> after, after the movie came out and we, you know, we weren't necessarily sure what we wanted to say about it. And then someone finally broke the silence and said, Hey, this sucks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then everybody kind of, you know, rallied around that. And, uh, you know, there was the whole hashtag, not my star Wars movement, mm-hmm. uh, and what, what have you, which is just silly. But, uh, you know, with that said, I don't want to say to anybody, um, go see solo, but under these conditions or, you know, with these parameters, you know, or uh, watch it with an open mind because, you know, that's just saying that or, or uh, I guess putting a, a qualifier um, on the film where it doesn't need need to be there. So I just say go see it, you know, um, try not to try not to get hung up and try not to let uh, your disappointment with the other movie or, uh, you know, or your um, your low expectations for the film keep you from seeing it because it was a lot of fun. I think that um, to your point that. The Last Jedi, there was an expectation of how it should move forward, and it didn't move forward the way the bulk of the fans wanted. And as such, there, there was disappointment associated with it. There was a desire that Act 2 of this particular trilogy be a lot more, well, I don't know, action-packed, a lot more um, action-driven, not so much of a a morality tale, and right. and in this particular case, as it relates to Solo, then there's a disappointment and then an oversaturation of the products that dilutes the interest to some extent. So Star Wars fatigue. Exactly. Solo 
was planned for a long, long time. Uh, Lawrence Kasdan had that story in mind for for a long time, and he worked in collaboration with the Sun to produce this particular script. And he originally wanted to present it to Lucas, and then Lucas Films was purchased by Disney, and then Disney had their own schedule of how to put out their films. And so, where Solo is after the Jet Last Jedi, when Last Jedi may have may or may not have been as popular. Solo was a standalone that was planned prior. So now we're looking as, as you described, Star Wars fatigue, because we just had a film in December. Yeah. Uh, and are we going to expense our resources to see yet another Star Wars movie where I think people are thinking, well, I was disappointed in the last one. I'm afraid I'm going to be disappointed in this one. And right, so, and that, and that's a shame. Mm-hmm. That's a really that really is a shame that that timing is affecting Solo, and not even timing as much as um as much as the critical reception of the Last Jedi. Unfortunately, that just doesn't have anything to do with Solo. Um, so with that being said, I, I want to get back to the actual film itself, and I'd like to start off by talking about the aesthetic of Solo, visually, um, and how that fits into the franchise. What, what were your thoughts on that? Well, initially, I must confess, I thought from a cinematography standpoint that the first half of the movie was maybe too dark for me. I thought it presented a, a lot of darkness, whether it be in the initial planet, uh, then with the train heist. They, again, that was in a very dark sense. And you expect Solo to be uplifting somewhat of a scoundrel. And right. and you want it to be a lot lighter, both from a physical presentation and from a movie telling standpoint. Mm-hmm. So both from a physical from the physical viewing of the film, I felt because I am a fan of how films are made. I felt the cinematography was really dark, and I'm a fan of Ron Howard. I think he creates really good movies. And you have you have this arc of solo that you're trying in two hours. And again, going back to Star Wars fatigue, it's two hours and fifteen minutes of movie. That's that's a lot of movie to see. Right. And well, there was some speculation, if you recall, speaking of the tone. Uh, I believe the the co-directors Lord and Miller, I believe their names were when they when they exited their work on Solo, it was said. Um, and this is rumor, of course, but it was said that Solo had a, um, how do they say, it? it had an Ace Ventura quality to it. Mm, yeah. And I, that, that was not what they were going for, evidently. But that, that was what the, uh, those particular directors had brought to the table. So do you think that maybe that would have been a little bit too extreme? Or do you think, as far as being uplifting is concerned, that it should have been more Jim Carrey-esque? Uh, I, I think that would have been too extreme because you never get that Solo, Han Solo, the character, throughout the movies, the the, the movies, the four that he's in, he he's not a cartoon character. He's not a caricature of an individual swashbuckling individual. He is a swashbuckling individual. He is a a movie star, and I, I think you wanted to see a movie star. And I understand the dynamics of that presentation. You're creating a movie star or a leading man, if it were, as it were, through Solo. And so to that extent, as you talk about how it fits into the other movies, you're trying to develop a character arc. And so in the first Star Wars movie, A New Hope, you're, you have a little bit of a story that leads us to Tatooine and, and Luke. And so you're building a story of this young farmer And so you're looking at Solo, he's an adventurer, he always wants to be an adventurer. He says from almost the opening of the movie, he's a great pilot and he wants to be a pilot. So there you're you're looking at an individual who we're trying to mold into what we want him to be now, as opposed to Luke. We didn't know what that farm boy was going to become at all. And once he became the rebel 
team continue that going forward. And as Solo fits into that that formula, to some extent, you're creating a leading man through this movie. And but I, I you had a lot of the elements you had um, mud, you had snow, you had desert, you had all of these different tactile visual images to take you from the character. So the character begins in a very dark setting and he ultimately is in a very bright setting. So you have all of that. There's a storm in the middle, of course. So it fits in to similar to Star Wars in that you're presented with all these different visuals as it relates mm-hmm. to how the character is progressing through his journey. And then that does fit into some extent in the Star Wars films. Sure. One of the major things that exists throughout the entirety of the Star Wars saga or franchise, I should say, to be more specific, are the uh, one of those things is the, the sound effects. Uh, yeah, the yeah. sound of the ships, the blaster fire, um, and I know I wasn't disappointed. I mean, did did you happen to notice anything different, or did it, did it all seem to gel? No, I, I I thought again, apart from a, a mild criticism in the cinematography, which is simply an artistic choice, I, I appreciate that. It was a very well made movie. The music, which I hope we'll get to talk about, is, is really good. Of course it is, it always would be. The, the totality of the production with Ron Howard at the helm, everything about that, I, I thought you could pick up cues on the sounds that were fan service, there were independent sounds. Each um, milieu of the film had its own texture, and that's brought out both in the visuals and the audio portion. Uh, as you go through the movie. It's just a well-made movie. Um, people uh, take a lot of the totality of the movie, the story, the, their expectations. But it was a very, very well-made movie as far as a, a production. Uh, Ron Howard does make a heck a heck of a movie. He really that does. That is true. That That is true. I, I think, uh, looking back, I, I've said numerous times that I wasn't excited about the picture um, especially in the early days of pre-production. And uh, I thought it was very interesting when it was announced that the original co-directors uh, were leaving and Ron Howard was coming in. And if I had to pinpoint a moment, now that I've had a chance to think about it, if I had to pinpoint a moment where I started to become excited about Solo, it was probably when I had understood that Ron Howard would be taking over the project. So... Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely, definitely a, a, a very, um, wow, <laughs> I'm just totally blinking. Sorry. Yeah, um, I, I, I think that I'm, I, I think that a director is much, much more crucial in a movie than a lot of people realize. We can oh, look yeah. back, we can look back to the prequels. There you had amazing actors, Liam Nielsen and Ewan McGregor. And, and they were not directed well. Uh, I, I don't think. They were not, their talents did not show forth. And then you bring Ron Howard in, and he brings in Paul Bethany, who is this wonderful, wonderful actor who has right. done work with Ron Howard before. And he creates this villain out of Paul Bethany. <clears throat> Excuse me. That you, in a, in a sense, you... You hate, but boy, this guy is really good. He's really sinister. And that is then, true. I was impressed. And then the frivolity by which Lando is presented, um, where you get Donald Glover to smirk that way, it's just priceless. And that comes from the direction of, okay, okay, Donald, let's try this, let's try that. And the same with, I can never pronounce the, the name of the actor who is solo, that that little glint in his eye when he's talking about, I have a good feeling about this. That's a line that could be interpreted in so many different ways. Or the line when he's on the desert there and he's in front, confronted with the marauders and he says, there are 30 
troops in that ship ready to surround you. <laughs> and it is so convincing. And this yeah. Millennium Falcon flies away. And just, <laughs> just, oh, okay, maybe that didn't work. And that, and that is a directed thing, and, and that direction sure. uh, is, is really relevant to the totality of the movie. I definitely want to I want to talk about the characters um especially in that way. I uh before we move on to that discussion though, I I, I want to go back just a step because you had mentioned uh looking forward to um speaking about the music. Mm-hmm. Um now John Williams had never composed a proper theme for Han prior to mm-hmm. this movie mm-hmm. and it was the only piece of music that he composed for the film. Now have you heard The Adventures oh, yeah. of Han? I have. I have. It's and good. W- it's good. It's very Star Wars, for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it, all of Williams' music, um, oddly enough, whether you... I happen to listen to a piece as an intro to Masterpiece Theater on PBS that was written by John Williams, has a particular style, has a particular flair. Uh, it does invoke your image of a particular character and he mm-hmm. does that so so well um, and that's why it's been so eminently successful over the years where every time you hear a piece of John Williams music it's so evocative of a particular era or a particular feeling um, and with solo it's, it's similar it's a little swashbuckling it's a little you know here Here's a guy, and we're going to go on an adventure. Not so much the Raider's <laughs> yeah. March, not so much the Raider's March, but it, it's okay, we're, we're going to have fun with this guy. And even to the point that John Powell um, sampled elements of Williams' music, there are only a few bars of some of Williams' music in Powell's soundtrack. But as soon as he brings that in, you know where it comes from. Right. And when in the mouth, for example, and you hear the bit from the asteroid field, boom, you're mm-hmm. right back in the asteroid field. So it, I, I personally feel that that was very well integrated uh, into Solo. And we kind of got a little bit of that in Rogue One. Um, there, there were elements of the, of the score from the original trilogy peppered in it throughout Rogue One that really kind of brought you into certain moments or rather um, brought about certain emotions during certain scenes. But one, one thing I do want to mention about uh, Michael Giacchino's work on Rogue One is that it was far more orchestral mm-hmm. and it seemed to be, I don't want to say that it was imitating John Williams because it was very much its own thing, but it kind of had that, that Star Wars sound, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Michael Giacchino... Um, is is a very good composer. Uh, he he has that flair for <clears throat> using the full extent of the orchestra. Uh, but remember, a lot of the score is directed in a sense by the producer, the director, mm-hmm. in that they're presenting to the individual composer elements that they'd like to feel in this particular scene. This is what we're looking for. This is what we're trying to develop. So in Rogue One, Rogue One was very much a symphonic presentation. It was grand. This is, this is a dramatic story. And over time, orchestras are best at presenting that. And that's what Michael Giancano did. And so if you look, for example, The Incredibles, another wonderful piece of music, or even Up, the first sequence of Up is so jerking. And it's all music. It's all music and visuals. There's no dialogue in that. And so um, that's what these individuals do, where Powell was more, okay, this is a, this is kind of a jaunt. We're going on a little jaunt. We're going to take an adventure. <laughs> And this is what we're going to see, and it's fun. And I also wanted to add, I think it's important, and I alluded to it earlier, that these movies have to be developed as standalones. 
in some sense, they really are trying to produce these, in my opinion, humble as it is, that they have their own identity. Right. Because you want people to go see Solo. You want to use <clears throat> you want to use a little bit of the, the oh, oh the, the word escapes me, but you say, okay, it's about Han Solo, but we want you to enjoy it on its own merits. There's not Harrison Ford, but we want you to enjoy you to enjoy the ride. Right. And and I did. I enjoyed the ride. Yes, it was about uh, Solo. Um, but if there had not, let me ask you this question: Would you've enjoyed it if his name would have been Grayson? Would you've enjoyed that story? I'm the best star. I'm the best pilot. And then granted, oh, the yeah. backdrop, backdrop of the Empire, because mm-hmm. he goes to enlist, and they've got the the Empire theme there, a little white Empire theme there with that. Recruitment video, would you have enjoyed right. if his name was Grayson? I think, yeah, you would have. But Absolutely, it, yeah. But it's, but it's a lot of fun because we know Solo, and so some of the fan service was there. Yeah, on that point, um, did you, uh, did, what were your thoughts on that? Did you, I, I hear really, and, and I don't want to be negative, but the most common thing that I've heard is that there's too much fan service. Um, that these new movies suffer from too much fan service. And I, you know, I really don't know if I agree with that 100%. In fact, I don't even know if I agree with that 50%. Um, I don't really think that's the case. I, I don't think so either because the people that say there's too much fan service um, are really into it, and that's fine. I, I think that's wonderful that an individual's into a particular series that way. I think that's great. But again, as a standalone movie, there's enough fan service for the casual viewer to enjoy it. For example, the line I alluded to, I have a good feeling about this, um, <laughs> to uh, not many people know about the, the Calrissian Chronicles. But that was fan service too. Um there were droids on that mining planet. There was a glimpse of an R2 unit, but they didn't hit us over the head. They didn't hit us over the head with the name of the gangster on Tatooine named Java. Right. That would, have been, that would have been a little much. Hey, there's this guy named Java. That would have what been was a, your... Uh, heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and I know a lot of people really, really wanted to see Java in this picture. Uh, no, too soon. Too soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite bit if if there was a you know, speaking of fan service what was your favorite nod to to the other films I I well the little things the subtle things I liked and I alluded to one of them and that we learned the maelstrom and the cue um, that references the asteroid field those types mm-hmm. of things I really really enjoyed those um, uh, Chewie for example ripping the arms off in that one case and, and Han saying, that was my perfect size. <laughs> which, alludes, which alludes to Chewie trying to knock the hologram characters off of the that chessboard. And then later, um, Han saying, um, a droid's not going to rip your arms off in A New Hope. So all of that flowing and um, the casual uh, viewer would have gone, oh, yeah, you don't want a Chewie to, you don't want a Chewbacca looking to rip somebody's arms off. No. Um, that could stand alone, but if you go deep into it, you go, oh, okay, that means, okay, I get it, I get it, yeah, yeah, okay. I really like the fact, and here's a big spoiler, that Han shot first, shot Beckett. Oh, I, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I was all for that. Uh, Absolutely. Now, do you think do you think that that was what he what Beckett was about to suggest to him? Do you think, think that that was the most important lesson of all? Yeah, I think as Beckett said, I would have killed you. <laughs> and and I think it was important from Han. Although the movie presents Han as a good guy, I, I think he is a bit of a rogue. I think he is a bit of a scoundrel. Um, but fundamentally. 
the difference between other movies, you had asked about how these movies fit into Star Wars. Han Solo, fundamentally, although he's a good guy, he is, is hell-bent on self-preservation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. hell-bent on self-preservation. <laughs> he, Every, he, yeah, he is. Everything he does is, how in the heck can I get out of this scrape? Now I'm going to go back right. and get the girl. I want to go back and get my ship. But how in the heck can I get out of this? And he's always right. got a plan. Always got a plan. Self-preservation is the rogue's number one priority. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm out. that's that's a little D and D insight <laughs> for you. <laughs> See, I'm, I, I'm never played D. Generally playing the rogue. And so, the one time he wasn't hell bent on self-preservation, in all of these movies, when he went to try to save Kylo Ren, it cost him his life. Hmm. Now you know that is that is a stunning point. Actually, I I have never thought of that in that way. So you're saying that the only time that he acted out of a sense of of 100% altruism, you could say that when he went to help Luke with the Death Star, that that was the case. But he was getting paid quite a he bit. Was, he was getting paid, and he wasn't going to get paid if they blew up the forest movie. <laughs> right. And right. he wasn't going to get the girl at the end of Return of the Jedi. Which was very important to him. He always wanted, you know, again, it's a hero's story. It's, it's, we talk about there are only so many movies. There's a Cinderella story. And in, in Cinderella stories, of course, she wants a prince. And he wanted his princess. And that's what he got at the end of, of Return of the Jedi. It was very important to him. A sense of belonging, a sense of belonging. And so the one time that he does a purely altruistic deed in trying to save his son, then it cost him his life. That is that is pretty heavy. I'm I'm gonna be sitting on that Sorry. for a while, I think. Sorry to mean to bring it down, No, no, I just mean to say that that is a very excellent point. And uh, you know, it's it's possible that others have made it. In other discussions, but it's the first time that I've I've heard anybody say it so plainly that the uh, the first time Han does anything, um, I guess in a completely selfless way, he, he gets stabbed through the heart. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah. that's pretty intense. Yeah, it sure is. Sure is. And that uh, to me, um, I didn't think of it in the way that you just presented, but uh, while we were watching the movie. Um, that was one thing that I kind of always had in the back of my head as I was watching it was this is Kylo Ren's father. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this these are all the things that he's doing. These are all the people he's meeting. These are the things that he's struggling against and hoping for. You know, and I'm watching all this and in the mean, you know, in um, you know, while I'm seeing it occur, I'm, I'm thinking and we know what happens. We know mm-hmm. um, what this all leads up to. And uh, in some ways, I wanted to see, I know it's not, I, I try not to be critical of the film that, um, or critical in such a way that, uh, you know, I, I'm presenting this movie as I wish I had seen it. Um, but the one thing, or not the one thing, but one thing I was hoping from Solo was to see kind of that, I don't know, maybe some type of foreshadowing mm-hmm. um, that would indicate Han's future. Mm-hmm. Or uh, or the direction that he was heading in, and I guess maybe in some ways there were, uh, and this is kind of going into the characters, which I definitely want to do. Uh, when Kira says to Han, you know, um, and it, it seems very sort of tense and serious for a moment when she leans into him and says, uh, you know, I know what you really are, and he's like, oh, <laughs> what's that? And and she says, the good guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that possibly. Um, fits the bill or or fits into that category of things that I wanted to see. I'm going to have to see it again. I'm going to have to think about it some more. But, you know, Han, like you had said, he he wants to be the rogue. He wants to be the scout. I mean, he is those things. Mm-hmm. But those are the things that he really wants to be known for and really wants to be seen as, uh, you know, the guy that shoots first, where in reality, you know, he, he is the good guy and he's going to do what's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of uh, speaking of Kira, what were your thoughts, or what are your thoughts on that character? 
I, I think she was in a situation that initially when we see her, she is presenting as somewhat a damsel in distress. And her arc throughout the movie becomes one of empowerment. And whether you agree with the direction that she's taking, that she wants to empower herself where she doesn't need anybody. And I think that that has a little bit to do with society as we present right now. She wasn't a damsel in distress at the end. She took control of the situation and was trying to set her own path. Um, but she was fearless, absolutely fearless. She knew what she had to do. She was in a situation, uh, again, with the Paul Bethany character, where she had to go along and, and fight out that situation the best she can, but she was somewhat stuck. And she ultimately made her way out. Now, her choice, uh, again, uh, sounding the big spoiler horn, of getting in uh, to business mall, I don't know if that was the best course of action. No. Probably not. Yeah. It seems more like an out of the frying pan and into the fire kind of situation. So I, I had been under the impression when I was when I was watching the film, I had kind of thought maybe what had happened was uh, Han got away, um, which I'm sure was devastating to her. But you clearly saw that that didn't set her back. Mm -hmm. um, that she didn't, you know, throw in the towel at that point. As you said, she she climbed up, she moved on. Um, and there was that period of empowerment. And I think that I want to say that um, what, I, what I wanted to see was how she had sort of cajoled and manipulated herself into a position of power, mm -hmm. which she did. Um, and at first I was a little disappointed because it seemed that maybe that wasn't the case. Maybe she was still kind of the damsel in distress because Dryden Voss was so terrible. Mm -hmm. um, and he was clearly... Uh, lording over her and had and she was more of a possession of his I think mm -hmm. um, which definitely cheapens that empowerment but I'm you know after having seen it and thought about it I I kind of feel like maybe she was just biding her time and would have gotten rid of Voss yeah I think so um, or at least she, gotten out from under his thumb yeah I, I, I so, agree Here's the question, though. You brought up Darth Maul, the big spoiler, spoiler <laughs> Maul, Darth spoiler, uh, you know, whatever. So that happened. Um, I'm, I'd like to just kind of move on. You know, it, it, it was shocking, um, but I'm going to try not to get too hung up on it because it was very unexpected. Again, I didn't pay attention to anything. I didn't read any spoilers or anything like that. So it was very unexpected, very shocking. Um, but before we get into that whole thing, um, after Dryden Voss was killed and she had that key, this is pure speculation on my part. So feel free to, you know, disagree. Feel free to agree or give me your thoughts. I'd very much like to know. But she had that key that, that was his ring. And there was a period there where I think maybe she had thought about getting the hell out of Dodge. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that was door A, and I guess door B was, should I go, I've gone, I've come this far, you know, if I want to keep climbing, do I get in touch with Maul? And then see what happens. I, I you can look at it that she had planned all along to dispatch uh, Dryden Voss. She was just looking for her opportunity. When I saw her take that ring and put it in, I thought, that she was then in charge of the syndicate. And she was just it was just power. Just absolute mm -hmm. power. I'm gonna I'm gonna take control. I'm gonna run the show now. We're gonna do it my way. I did not anticipate that she would make a FaceTime call and then make a deal with the devil, as it were, uh, to move forward. Yeah. I, I just didn't think that. I thought she was smarter than that. I thought she's she had an opportunity to just go. She could have started a totally new life. She could no longer have been indentured at all. And that's not what she chose to do. She chose to continue to be indentured, although this time with the head of the crime syndicate. And presumably, presumably, presumably we don't know if 
Darth Maul is reporting to the Empire? Is is at this point is he still with the Sith, or is this he? I know from uh, canon that he was reanimated. Is that right from the animated series that he was kind of put yeah, back? Yeah, they brought him back. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that he had been disenchanted with the Sith and he was acting as an independent contractor. Uh, well, there is some story there. That that is not that's not all ambiguous. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that that was fleshed out pretty well in the Clone Wars, oh, okay. and then uh, the tail end of that um, story was wrapped up, I think, in the Ahsoka novel, which I read, but it's been so long now, um, I really don't remember what happens. To sum up, um, Maul basically kept himself alive through the dark side, just pure hatred and obsession with revenge against Kenobi kept him alive. And he was discovered um, by his brother, Savage Opress, after he was picked up by, I believe it was Count Dooku and, um, and Asajj Ventress. They, uh, oh wait, I might be getting ahead of myself. Um, but I know Dooku was looking for an apprentice and he found that in Savage, who was uh, Maul's brother. And they eventually, or Opress eventually uh, discovered Maul with his mechanical spider legs, which was just <laughs> creepy. But he was half mad when when they found him, and because uh, he had been living living by himself presumably for for all that time, and and was, had gone a little crazy. And as the series progressed, they tamed that part of his uh, appearance. You know, they gave him a pair of legs as opposed to spider legs. They still looked kind of strange and uh, man- mechanical, somewhat mantis like. And then they toned that a little bit uh, further and until he had uh, prosthetics that resembled, you know, regular legs. And you kind of saw that in the movie, um, the metal legs that he was sporting there. But uh, towards the end of the Clone Wars, um, Savage and uh, Maul actually, they team up against Palpatine or Darth Sidious. And uh, this that, that whole thing will actually give you a pretty clear picture into how badass Sidious is because he's able to take two of, you know, maybe the fiercest Sith warriors to ever exist. And he, and he takes them both like it's nothing. Mm. And, uh, he kills Savage and, um, and basically leaves, uh, leaves Maul more or less broken. And, uh, he doesn't kill him though. I, I don't remember what he says to him, but you get the idea that, that he's, going to be a pawn in some plan of Palpatine's. And uh, so then you don't hear anything from him at all until much later in the show Rebels, where he is uh, a lot older. And I'm assuming that he's somewhere around the same age as Kenobi. Um, and then there's a, a whole separate story arc uh, in Rebels. So what takes place here um, in Solo obviously takes place before Rebels and after uh, Clone Wars. So it's in between that time period. Now it's important to say though that um, the, in the Clone Wars one of the things that Maul was able to do when he was trying to enact his revenge against um, both Palpatine and Obi-Wan was he uh, systematically infiltrated and broke several of the crime syndicates including the Huts, mm-hmm. uh, Black Sun, the Pike Syndicate that was featured in Solo and uh, what was the other one? It wasn't a crime syndicate. It was Death Watch, which was a, a radical group of Mandalorians. He was able to to kind of get all of them together by fighting his way to the top of that. So he already has experience with this sort of thing. And he's already kind of more or less been acting as the head of a crime syndicate um, before uh, before we see yeah. him with Crimson Dawn. So, so you could assume uh, that... Crimson Dawn was something that he uh, either created, or is part of the uh, is part of the web that he created in uh, in Clone Wars. Okay. So I'm very interested to see what happens uh, with that. So it kind of um, it kind of raises a lot of questions about the other characters and how they fit into the scheme of things, and if they uh, were aware. Of, of what was happening with the head of Crimson Dawn, or if they thought that Dryden Voss was the head of Crimson Dawn. Um, and it also begs interesting questions regarding further Star Wars movies. Um, is there going to be a sequel to Solo? Mm-hmm. Uh, will there be another Star Wars spinoff 
that features Darth Maul and the Crimson Dawn. You know, because there are a lot of things that can be done now. And kind of as you said about A New Hope, uh, where you see Vader getting knocked off into space, when you see Kira and Darth Maul, you know that there is more to the story. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, I, I agree. And I think going back to the original conversation we were having uh, about these becoming uh, products, is it feasible or financially beneficial for Lucasfilm for Disney to create these subsequent movies, is there going to be enough interest uh, by on the part of the audience to see these stories? Uh, right. They, it could be that these stories become streaming um, stories alone. Uh, there's a big market, mm-hmm. obviously, for Amazon, Netflix. Apple is really working hard to develop its own streaming products that Disney I believe is is going to be launching theirs pretty that's soon that's right that's right so that would be a perfect opportunity for some of these lesser stories that it's deemed that they don't have the um, draw that Solo does or the other Star Wars products that they would go to streaming and there the bar is, is much much less advertising distribution costs, which make up significant amounts uh, of right. production costs, are, are very much limited uh, in streaming. So it's possible. Do you, do you remember when there was going to be, uh, and this might have even been talked about before Rebels um, first came about, maybe even before the Clone Wars, it seems like... Um, it seems like one of those things I was reading about online uh, back when we all used to live um, in Danielsville. But there was a show. It was going to be, um, I believe, a live-action show. It was called Star Wars Underworld. Do you remember hearing about that? <laughs> I, I, I don't recall. I, I, I'd love to tell you I did, but no, I, I don't recall that. Yeah, it was, uh, was going to be a, a pretty big show. I remember um, George Lucas, of course, was talking about how uh, it, it was going to change the way that, that television uh, uh, was made, and, and the effects were going to be tremendous. We just didn't have them at the time. Um, so, yeah, that had a lot to do with why that wasn't uh, developed. And one of the things that he said about it, which I thought was insane, was that uh, that when they found when they essentially created the technology uh, to create these shows, that it was going to revolutionize how movies were mm-hmm. made because people were going to find that they could make movies much more cheaply. Mm-hmm. Clearly, that technology has not been. No, no. Uh, but anyway, with that being said, you know, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna let that one go. There's a lot that I could say, <laughs> but in the meantime, I'll, I'll just say that George Lucas is, in fact, uh, I'd like to think maybe uh, if he put his mind to it again, could pioneer some very, very interesting things regarding effects and the way that films are made. If, if maybe he learns from from previous eras in <laughs> storytelling. And that's all I'll say about it. Because, I mean, you know, the man was was at one point very capable. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, and I don't, don't want to take that away from him. But with that being said, that never happened. Underworld never happened. But the plot was supposedly, um, in, it had supposedly involved your lesser-known characters in kind of a almost Game of Thronesy. y um, character-driven, dialogue-driven program where your major players like your Vaders and Skywalkers and Palpatines, they would be on the periphery and you might hear a mention of them, but you know they wouldn't really be featured. And I think Lucas was quoted as saying something to the effect of it would, it would unfold all of these small players and then eventually continue to unfold into the larger scope of, of the Star Wars saga and those people would be involved and then boom, you would be at a new hope. Well, with, with, with that in mind, do you think there's a market for a Boba Fett movie? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, people want that Boba Fett picture. They seem to want the Obi-Wan film a little bit more, but, um, and, you know, that's just, you know, listening to what people are saying on the web and what have you. But Boba Fett was supposed to have been involved in, in Star Wars Underworld, and, and I guess that remains to be seen. Because there still isn't there still another movie? Uh, they announced that there would be three spinoffs. Oh, no. Rogue One was the first, 
Solo was the second, and I don't think that Lucasfilm has officially announced that Boba Fett would be the next, but um, that's what everybody is saying, and apparently James Mangold is attached to the project, and I guess we'll see, but uh, but that that was something that, that was going to happen and didn't materialize, so to your point about the streaming service, I think that's going to be interesting, because we now know that Jon Favreau uh, is helming a series, um, and uh, I thought that that was pretty cool. He said that it was going to incorporate a lot of the Jungle Book technology. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. we're going to yeah, see how yeah. that develops. It's supposed to be set three years after Return of the Jedi. So that's a possible for our streaming service. Um, oh, gosh, what are their names? D.B. Weiss and uh, I forget the gentleman's first name, but uh, Benihoff from Game of Thrones, the, the guys who... Uh, I think they were the showrunners for Game of Thrones and and basically uh, had worked very hard on adapting that story uh, onto television. They're working on a Star Wars series as well. Um, so it's going to be really fun to see how that pans out. It hasn't been announced or uh, it hasn't been announced or named what time period that'll be in or uh, or how how that's going to to affect the rest of the films or tie into the rest of the films, but. It, it is officially happening, so that's pretty cool. But yeah, so um, with that said, I, I really don't have anything else to say about Solo other than um, that I think it was a great movie and I enjoyed it a lot. And, and I really hope that people can kind of, I don't want to say get over themselves, but yeah, maybe get over themselves and, and just go see it because I, I don't think they'll be mm-hmm. disappointed. Mm-hmm. And I, I think um, those are yeah, my two I think cents. Um, that can't be lost is something that you had actually said before that not only is there Star Wars fatigue but there are a lot of products out on the market today and coming up that people have to decide if they want to spend their resources on entertainment and they have to make choices over some really good shows um, Deadpool right. Incredibles coming up Jurassic World um, those those are all direct competition to the success of Solo. Very true. And I know uh, it seems that uh, that people have, have made their choice, monetarily speaking, uh, voting yeah, with the dollar. To be fair, that's a point you made. And then, um, forgive me for repeating the point. I thought it was very well stated. Well, it is what it is, you know, and, and maybe by the time that Solo is released on Blu-ray and DVD, people will get an opportunity to see it. Because I know that's a, the case mm-hmm. a lot of times. You know, they're not going to go see it at, um, in cinemas, but when it comes out and is more readily available, or popular, <laughs> <clears throat> they uh, they might, you know, see those films. And, and then they can say, all right, well, maybe the next time I'll, I'll go see the next one. Maybe I'll go see Lando. Maybe I'll go mm-hmm. see Boba Fett. Uh, once once you can divorce yourself from the knowledge that this these aren't the prequels and they they won't be the prequels and just <laughs> you know like I think that's that's a fear from a yeah. lot of people you know it's it's just a story they're not interested in and and yeah. um, you know hope, hopefully yeah. that'll change you know I mean Star Wars isesn't going anywhere though so it's not like if if these guys and gals don't go see Solo that it's gonna yeah. die kind of like uh, I was talking about the Golden yeah. Compass. I don't think that they're going to can these movies and put them on the shelf just because they didn't see the dollar figure yeah. that they wanted because they're still doing quite well for yeah. themselves. I think to your point, sometimes um, you got to get over the these aren't the prequels you were looking for. So. Yeah, yeah, just forget mm-hmm. about them. Well, that that uh, that pretty much wraps up this show, I think. Uh, unless you had anything else you no, wanted to no, add. No, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it with you. Yeah, and it, well, it was a pleasure again to to have you on the show, and definitely appreciate that. And I, I hope we're able to do another one. Oh, me too. Me too. All right, Dad. Will you stay? Uh, you stay safe up there in Georgia. Okay. Stay I know safe that uh, I, some of those. I'm gonna do my best. <laughs> I know some of the storms that were hitting us were kind of moving your way, but I don't know. It's uh, it's only June third, and. In Florida, so I'm sure we're in for a ride. But you guys always hit, you you guys always catch whatever's being sloughed off, oh. of, uh, sloughed off the top of the state. So. Yeah, it's been a, a wet couple of weeks. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, well, we'll do our best. <laughs> All right, until next time. 
All right, you guys and gals, that's another episode of the Sleeping Giant podcast in the bag. Big thanks to my dad, Steve Marcotte, for joining me once more for this episode. We had some listener comms that we wanted to read aloud, but it looks like somehow they were deleted prior to this recording, so that's a bit of a bummer, especially considering it was our first set of listener comms, so piss. Uh, As per usual, by the time that you guys have heard this, I will... Uh, along with whoever else decides to make up or comprise the Sleeping Giant roster this go-round. We will have already been hard at work coming up with the uh, next episode, and I'm not 100% on which direction that's going to take, but I feel confident in saying that it will involve Star Wars and San Diego Comic-Con. Oh yeah, and uh, Rob Zombie as a filmmaker. I want to talk about that too. Been one to talk about that for a while, and I'd like to finally get around to it, so... Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram for the latest updates at SG Cards and Toys. And if you haven't already left us a review on iTunes, please do so, because it, it really does help. Once again, I've been your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte. Thank you for listening to the Sleeping Giant Podcast. Y'all be well, and until next time.